Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. I am your host, Billy Tarasio of Modern Law. And today I am joined by a local advocate, champion of the cause, owner of a nonprofit, domestic violence survivor, Kimberly Minor. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Billy. Absolutely. So, Kimberly, tell people a little bit about what you do and why. Absolutely. So I am the owner of Envision You Victory Over Violence. We work with domestic violence survivors, focusing on actually kind of like the journey that starts after you have, you know, taken that huge step, leaving, leaving that relationship of, you know, that build, starting that building blocks of building, you know, starting that building of confidence, self-worth and self-esteem of, you know, what does all that look like of having to build a life, getting through the court systems and, you know, reorganizing the thought process that goes on upstairs. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned that. A lot of domestic violence experts and advocates talk about the trauma bond that keeps victims from leaving. And I wonder if you can help those of us who have not really been victims of domestic violence understand what does, what is the process like? How does one transition from being in a trauma bond where you don't want to leave, no matter how awful it is to being ready to leave? Yeah. You know, I, I can start by giving an example of myself with my first husband I was married to him for 10 years, and it took me three times of filing of divorce before I finally left him. And, you know, I get so many comments still to this day of, I don't understand. Why didn't you just leave him? Why did you put up with that? And the, the first time I filed for divorce, the divorce was in three weeks of being finalized, and I went back with him. And it went as far as that so many times that you know, I was trying to get people to understand of so many of the things that was going on and was not heard and people didn't understand in the courts with the police. And he had finally been arrested that had nothing to do with me, that he had actually been arrested for assaulting a security guard at a place where you go for concerts and things like that. And it was actually on the radio and my dad had heard it on the radio and had called me. And I remember that moment and thinking, gosh, you know, what is, how's that going to affect my life? How's it going to affect my son's life? I didn't even have my daughter at that point. And they had kind of kept it quiet for me and stuff. Nobody had, you know, reached out to me and stuff. And I remember 
you know, reaching out and stuff. And when I finally got through to him and stuff and just having this conversation and all of a sudden, like there was that trauma, that trauma that happened, all of a sudden there was like this bond that happened and him discussing like how he still loved me, even though he had a girlfriend, he had kept a picture on his pillow of me and just this whole thing and stuff. And it like just started unwinding. And to the point of he wound up back in my life, it just, that's all it took. Okay. It's so, just that easy for people to, you know, have a circumstance that, you know, where you just feel this like sympathy, you know, where I had been validated and just that validation was enough to like get the validation and then feel empathy for like, oh my gosh. And then I started unwinding because like all the wind had been sucked out of my sail. Like, what do I do now with this? <laughs> okay. So he had a moment of vulnerability with you. Yes. And that, that was enough to keep you with him and not wanting to leave. Right. So how is it that you eventually got to the point where you no longer wanted to be with him? I wound up having my daughter because I was raped by, by my ex. And then after I had her and I was with, when I was looking at her and I'd had enough times where he held me hostage and, and hid my kids for sexual favors that I looked at my daughter and I said, I can't have my daughter think this is okay. And it took looking at my children to say that I need to get my kids out of this because I can't think my, let my kids think that this is okay. So I did it for my kids first and for myself second. So what that tells me is that everyone's breaking point is different. Yeah. For some people, you know, the moment, you know, some, they, they are hit, that's it. They're done. For other people, it takes multiple times of being held hostage with your children hidden from you for you to be done. Like, and it can be difficult to be an advocate and also supportive of the fact that this is somebody's journey. How do you do that in your role as a domestic violence advocate? Because I, I understand what their thought process is. I understand what that emotion is that they're going through. I don't have to question it. I don't have to go. I don't understand what it is that you're going through because I've been there. I know what that spot is because I know what it took during that time period. The only thing that my hope is in all the work that I do is that your journey is so much shorter than mine was. That's my biggest hope is that it took me 25 years to find my confidence, my self-worth and my self-esteem. And my mission in my life is that, you know, I always joke at any time that I speak or I do my classes that is that I've made every mistake out there. So you're welcome. And so The only thing I haven't done is drugs and drinking. I heard it isn't as much fun, so no worries. 
And so my hope is that, that everyone I touch, that their journey can be so much shorter than mine was. Mm -hmm. And that's what my biggest mission is, is that, that we can get to the root of whatever it is that they're going through and really, you know, figure out where, where that pinpoint is, where that hurt is, and really start to figure out, you know, where it is so that they can start working on it and figure out what the, where the why is, why is it they're having that issue so that they can start, you know, making that, um, making that transfer and making life different for themselves. Tell me exactly what it is your nonprofit does. I built a program and it's all based on figuring out what is that sabotaging behaviorism that you find within yourselves because we have so many relationships that we interact with all day long. It's not just the relationship with the abuser, but we do it in our career. We do it in our families. We do it with our children. And so it's not just the abuser that is formidable, but it can be in the family that we grew up with. It can be in our career because the abuser that formed how it is that we wind up doing well or not well in our career. We cannot advance in our career because of the abuse that we formed. I did not stick up for myself in my career. I had a 25-year career in corporate America, and I did extremely well in sales because when I was out with my customers, it was like being in an acting career because I could be anything I wanted. I could create who I wanted to be. So I could recreate. And when I walked in the door, I could be anything I wanted to be. And so I could create this persona and create this relationship with this person. It was outstanding and I did really well. But then when I walked out the door and I had to interact with the bosses that I had, and when I had to go to corporate office and sit in meetings and stuff, I would just shrivel because I didn't know how to stick up for myself to say, I am worth this amount of money. You know, my sales were like this. I was regional director, but I didn't know how to say I deserve this VP position because when I was told, well, you know, you're a single mother with two children, you know, I didn't know how to stick up for myself because I had that years of self-loathing of being told I wasn't worth something. I hadn't done the work on myself. I kept trying to hide it. And when you hide something and you don't work on it and you keep thinking, if you ignore it, that, you know, it'll go away and you'll just create this new life. It never goes away. That's the thing. It never goes away. And I kept, you know, recreating situations. It just had different characters, but the foundation was the same. What you're saying is so important. And I I don't know how to say this without people feeling like I'm victim blaming and I'm not trying to, but an abusive relationship is a relationship with two, two or more characters. And so even if you are the victim and this is the abuser, you're both playing parts that contribute to the dynamic. And this comes up in family court all the time because family court does not like to take two parents and to label one the victim and one the abuser. 
they almost always try to, as much as possible, treat people the same way and say, well, yes, dad did X, Y, and Z, but mom may have contributed with A, B, and C. And it feels so wrong because it feels like victim blaming. Do you have any? Yeah, family court has a long way to go. They don't understand the dynamics. But the one thing that I really tried to, and when I came to the pro bono night, that you had a lot of the things that I talked to a lot of your people that were sitting in the lobby there that were actually coming there to talk to a lot of your attorneys. A lot of them were getting ready to go into court and stuff and talk. And I kept having that same conversations. You have to separate the emotion. And it's the hardest thing to do is that one of the things that I kept saying is that when you get an email, don't open it. Wait 48 hours, wait 72 hours. Nothing that you get most of the time doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to reply to that quickly. If you have to, have somebody else open it for you and regurgitate to you what it is that you have to respond to and tell you so that you don't have to be emotional, so that you can respond to it, so that you can be proactive instead of reactive. Because what it does, it gives you the upper hand. Because what the abuser wants to do is put you into an emotional turmoil. And what it does, it allows you to go to court and give you what the court is looking for. The court wants you to, it's not that the court doesn't understand that there is an issue going on, but what the court is asking is saying, hey, you know what? Show me what a douchebag this person is being and be like very proactive and unemotional about it and just give me point A, B, C, and D of exactly what is going on. And I remember just last week, that you did a TikTok about like how you were, you had a client, you went to court and you were very thorough and you still didn't get the outcome. See, I do listen. The outcome that you were looking for. And I remember I wasn't emotional about it, but I was very frustrated about it because we are so far out of where we need to be in the court system. You know, a family court understanding of, uh, understanding domestic violence. And, you know, I actually am involved in a group. It's an action circle of where we are trying to actively put together a list of, you know, trying to get where judges have to, to try to get an understanding of what domestic violence means so that they have an understanding. And some of the issues that as attorneys, And as victims, we understand is that judges do rotations and judges see so many cases and stuff. And here's the other thing. They pick attorneys that are going to, you know, exemplify their behaviorisms. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, their attorneys, you know, they, they, their personalities are very similar. (laughs) So, you know, you're you're going against somebody that is going to fight for their poor behavior. And the the judge is only getting 10 minutes. And unfortunately, that's one of the issues that we're fighting in a court system is that the judges, one of the things that the judges are having to learn is that their decisions have a huge effect for the rest of the life that they're making in 10 minutes. 
in family court. Well, explain that. What is the difference between a contentious divorce, you know, one where you've got kind of a conflict loving, narcissistic focus on me, I want the attention, I revel in the attention of the conflict versus a dynamic where one is physically abusive? What are the similarities and differences between those two patterns? Yeah, thanks for asking. A contentious divorce is that people are not getting along and say, okay, like this is not working any longer, but they, within reason, can get along, but then they can't see eye to eye. And so things become difficult to work through. That's a contentious divorce. A domestic violence divorce is that you know you have things that where they're narcissistic, there's been abuse, there has been stalking, there has been, you know, harassment. Those would define the two differences. Would you agree? I think it's hard to tell. I think it's hard to every single relationship dynamic is a relationship dynamic. You know, it it's got two people that are inputting and outputting in a dance and and these days determining what is abuse I think has become very difficult. Some, you know, abuses some people interpret the silent treatment as abuse and other people don't. Like, and, and I don't know that one is right or wrong. Many therapists would support somebody who was who was experiencing the silent treatment by their partner. Many people, many therapists would say, yeah, you were dealing with an emotionally abusive, manipulative partner. But how does that play out in family court? Family court doesn't care. They're like, I don't care that he was mean to you. And that's how they're going to see that. So it's very difficult from the lawyer's perspective to be compassionate and supportive of those who are dealing with trauma from their marriage, but also communicating the family court does not care. They want to. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, family court has a hard time even understanding that if there's been physical abuse, why, why the other parent should not still get visitation rights, which I'm still having a tremendous issue with that. I mean, there is just so much education from the judicial part. This is my point of view and my point of view from an advocate for domestic violence. So this is not from an attorney's point of view, okay? Is that a court system at a certain point is a business. And when you enter into a business, is that when you decide to go and get a divorce, is that there's multi-different levels. And you first come in and if you get a really good attorney like yourself and you have to do a good job of getting an attorney and not everybody can afford that luxury. And I think you've done an exceptional job in speaking with your staff and stuff is that number one, your staff actually knows the statistics of how many people can't afford, excuse me, the luxury of you know, going through the whole process of having an attorney stick with them. The fact that your staff knows that I was blown away by that because money wouldn't even take the time to be touched or care about that. So. Well, thank you. That's very, very kind of you. And I do have, I have a great team 
But what you're saying is right. In order to get true advocacy in family court, it's expensive and it's, it's long. Yeah. It's a long process and they, and they, and they tear it out. Mm. You know, everybody wants a piece of it. Mm. You know, you, the judges, you know, will send it out to a mediator that costs Mm. money. They'll send it out to, you know, somebody who does for the children that costs money. They send it out to like, it becomes a tier system of everybody wants their part. Mm. And so who really has the family best interests? at heart, right? It's like the health system. You have to be your best advocate and you have to be thorough. You have to take great notes. And when you're at the worst place in your life, some days it's really hard to think about making sure that you are being extremely thorough. Absolutely. Organizing your entire life into exhibits is not an easy thing. So let's transition for a moment to talk about, you're also working on legislative advocacy. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. So last year, it was my testimony that helped get the harassment and stalking on social media, now a misdemeanor in Arizona. So I am extremely proud of that. I experienced that wholeheartedly. Uh, It is something that is a wicked thing to experience. What is social media stalking or harassment? It can happen in multitude of different ways. You can have it all over your social media. They can contact your friends, your business people. They can find out the information of where people live, of the people that are on your social media. They can go to business events of finding out business connections or like you know networking groups you're in and go to those networking groups to try to influence, you know, dis despair, disencourage people to interact with you. They can send mail to people that you know. It's it can be extremely devastating. It's like we're in a day and age where you can't get away from it. It's like feeling like somebody can reach you through the screen. Mm, Okay. Very, very good to know. Okay. Any other legislative efforts that you're trying to get through or what's your- Yeah, I spoke up for get trauma centers here. And then also I have- um, a senator that's sponsoring next year, we weren't able to get it for this year of changing how orders or protections are done for next year. Mm, and what will that look like? It will be that instead of order of protection having to be served in person, it'll be served electronically. Oh, I love that. Electronic service. It's it's about time. Good for you. Yep. So, and then also when you go to court, it'll be templates so that people won't have to be worried that the wording is not done correctly. So then they just insert the story into the templates. Mm -hmm. So people so many times, you know, they think they have it done correctly and then they get it and then they go to enforce it. And the police go, Oh, well, it's not done correctly. Mm -hmm. Oh, the period's not in the right place or you have no period. And then it can't be enforced. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the show. How do people find you or access your nonprofit? If they go to envisionyouvictory.org or they can go to email me at Kimberly at envisionyouvictory.org. 
Well, this has been a fantastic episode. If you've liked the episode, make sure to like it, download it, send it to your friends, go back, look at the other episodes. And if you'd like us to cover a different topic on the Modern Divorce Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, make sure to contact me. Kimberly, it's just been great. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks, Billy. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.